You know, the, the songs that we just sang, a lot about church. You know, build your kingdom here. He's coming for his church. The church is like his bride. The church is important to God. It's important to Jesus. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that. That the title of today's message, is it working, Whelan? No? Is it working? Not too well. Not too well. I wonder, does, does it go up? It says plus, plus. Is that any better at all? Any better? I'm, I'll know more when you... Well, okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, the title for today is The Most Heavenly Place on Earth. <laughs> what is the most heavenly place on earth? The church. The church. So... Welcome, church. We're here, right? Okay, all right. You, you know, it, it may be hard for us to comprehend sometimes, but uh, millions of people in this world hate the church, the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, a Hoover Institution uh, explained, few people realize that we are today living through the largest persecution of Christians in history. Sounds kind of drastic, does it? We don't see it here, do we? So much. But it's happening. You know, estimates of, uh, of numbers of Christians under assault range from over $100 million, $100 million, $100 million people plus. And according to one estimate, a Christian is martyred every five minutes. And most of this persecution is taking place at the hands of Muslims, as we hear. You know, in Afghanistan, for example, where American blood was shed and, and treasure liberated, Afghans from murderous fanatics had a court order that led the destruction of the last Christian church in that country. Hmm. In Iraq, also free because of America's sacrifice, many of the Christians have fled or, or worship in hiding. Uh, I know Jordan studied some of this stuff. You know, they don't have a building like this. They hide in homes, and, and, but it's a Believe it or not, in Iraq, Christianity is growing like fire. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's what it's about, you, you know? <laughs> Just like it was in the first century, where they worshiped from house to house. You know, a lot of people hate the cross of Jesus Christ and, and, and all of his followers. And, and so as Christians, what are we supposed to do about that? Really, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, so as Christians, you know... What do we do when people oppose the biblical teachings that we know are truth and, and that the government has controls in their hands as we're seeing more and more all the time, aren't we? Today's scripture, we're, we're going to finish Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 37. Uh, yeah, and it, the scripture teaches us how the first people in the church how they stuck together, how this was the way to survive. Unity together, Amen. together. 
And it's exactly what we need to do today. Verses 23 and 24 go like this, as if you want to follow along in, in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Remember now, Peter and John, you know, they were told by the chief priest, you know, don't talk about Jesus anymore. No more. And so, so when, they, when the people, when their companions heard this, they raised their voice with, to God with one accord. They came together and they prayed together. One of the great things that we see here is that when, when Peter and John ran into trouble, <laughs> they didn't run away. They didn't run away. <laughs> no, they ran straight to their brothers and sisters in Christ. They ran to the church, and that's what they should have done, really. Also notice in verse 24, they were still together in one accord. They lifted up that word, and that's the way the Lord wants us to be, friends. It's the way we need to be, is together with one accord, lifting things up to Him. So let's pray together, can we? Father, we just come before you this morning, just uh, seeking your hand upon every one here, Father. May we find your truth in our hearts, and may we share that light. May we shine those lights, Father. Like the song says, can we build your kingdom right here and move forward, your church, Father. Your church is, you're part of heaven right here, Father to help us to grow and show others the way you live. Help us now to hear your words, Father. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. So what, what should we do? When, you know, we hear a lot of this talk and everything. What should we do when uh, our government just seems to be ungodly? What do we need to do? Well, we pray. And we pray together. We stick together in doing that. Not just a little here or there. That's why it's so important for us to gather in our time of prayer as a corporate group, as a church. You know? And that's how we seek God's help. Verse 24, we see the early church seeking God's help. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God in one accord, together. You see, after they heard about the trouble... The first thing they did was pray. First thing they did. The early Christians believed in prayer. They did. And how, and they began their prayer by well, kind of giving God's resume, so to speak. If you, want, if you hear it in verse 24, it says, They raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. Yeah. See, these early Christians began their pray, prayer by telling God some of the wonderful things they knew about him and they believed in. And, and, and it may seem unusual or unnecessary to us at times, maybe. But this is a very common pattern of public prayer in the Bible. Acknowledging he is God and he is the one that created everything that we see and that we are and that we partake of. In effect, they're saying, Father God, here are some of the reasons that we trust in you. 
Lord, you are God. Then they mention one of the great things our God has done. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And then next in verses 25 and 26, they noted something God had said. Who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his church. Hmm. And then in verse 27 and 28, they pointed to what God had planned. Even though these people were planning all these things, it says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before it was done. In short, Father, we trust you. We trust in you because of who you are, because of what you have done, and because you have said of what you have said, and because of what we know you have planned. You see, these early Christians began their prayer by acknowledging God's deity and eternal and his eternal nature. And because God is God, there are infinite ways that we can praise and honor him, aren't there? We can't even count the number of ways that we can praise him. We can, we can put our own faith story in God's resume, can't we? How God has worked in our life to share with others because of what he's done. You know, there's a story of an elderly Christian woman who turned to God's word when she found herself in stressful situations. Hmm, interesting thought. One of her favorite memory verses was Psalm 91.4, and where, where the psalmist said this about the Lord. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You see, whenever this lady felt under great stress, she would just repeat to herself, I am covered with his feathers. I am covered with his feathers. Okay. Well, one night she was walking down a dark city street all by herself and realized she was being followed by two men. Naturally, she was afraid and began to say out loud, I am covered with his feathers. I am covered with his feathers. I am covered with his feathers. Then she heard one of the men shout, uh, the mugger shout, and he said, hey, man, this lady is crazy. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> Well, you know, you may not have a story like that, but, <laughs> but if you know the Lord, we have a story of how God has worked in our life. And, and, and that, too, is part of his work. That's part of his work and trust and the promise that he makes us. The early Christians began their prayer by acknowledging God. Then they made their request in verses 29 and 30. It says, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants with all the, bold, with all the bold, that with all the boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
These Christians could have just asked for the bad guys to be taken away, couldn't they? But they didn't do that. They didn't do that. They made the spreading of God's word and sharing his, their story a top priority. And that's what we need to be doing, friends, as a church. That's what we need to be doing. As in verse 29, we should ask God to give us the boldness that we need. Again, they prayed, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. Your word. They asked for one of the main things that we all need today, right here. Boldness. We need to be bold. Not be fearful of what everybody out there is going to say or do. Be bold. Give us boldness, Lord, so that we may speak your word. Give us boldness. Then in verse 30, they ask God to confirm his word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Church, you know what? It's always good for us to ask God to confirm his word through his perfect will. They started their prayer with God's resume and they made their request and they saw a great result, didn't they? The first part of verse 31 tells us that when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Do you want to feel that? you want to feel that? You know, these threatened Christians did exactly the right thing. They sought the Lord's help, and he responded in an amazing way. He did. We may not see the building shaking. I hope not, because we have a lot of repairs to do. But uh, we may not see it shaking. But our God is still a miracle worker. And he's a wor miracle-working God every day. And one of the places where he's doing remarkable things today is in the area uh, where his church, where his church is committed to him. That's where we have to be. A missionary once said, one person who had never had an opportunity to respond to the good news stopped him recently in a bakery and asked him to share with him about Jesus. He said, we discussed my test, our own testimony and, and Jesus' teachings in John 3 and, and how a person can pray to receive Christ. And this man later made that personal decision to follow Jesus. And he's growing daily in his faith right now. But he's also being heavily persecuted by his family and his friends who don't believe what he believes. Let me remind you that it is a miracle when anyone gets saved. Anyone. And our God is still a miracle-working God. And he's saving people. So we must pray and we must be expecting a great response from our God. Expect it. Friends, what should we do when the government is ungodly? We stick together. We seek God's help and we speak the truth about Jesus wherever we go. Wherever we go. 
That's what the disciples did in the last part of verse 31. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. We need to speak the word of God with boldness. Because people out there desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Occasionally, you know, and I know many of us have seen in a show somewhere, a movie or something, see Steve McQueen, remember him? You know, popular actor, and I know Jordan doesn't, yeah, well. <laughs> he was a very popular actor when, when, when I was younger. Success filled Steve McQueen's life until alcohol and a failed marriage left him empty. In despair, he attended a crusade led by someone on Billy Graham's team. Steve made a profession of faith that night and asked for an opportunity to speak with Billy Graham. A connecting flight in Los Angeles allowed uh, Billy Graham to spend a couple of hours with Steve. And uh, Steve struggled with the thought of God giving him eternal life to a man with a past like his. And Billy shared many scriptures with Steve, but Steve found the hope he needed in Titus 1-2. verse says, Christians are in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Steve asked for something to write that verse down, but instead Billy Graham gave him his own Bible. Sometime later, Steve McQueen died in Mexico while seeking an experimental treatment for his cancer. And he went to heaven with his Bible open to Titus 1 <laughs> and his finger on the resting on the verse 2 where it said, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, <laughs> promised before the world began. Hmm. You see, friends, a lot of people out there hate Jesus. They do. But there are also a lot of people who will turn to the Lord and trust Him. There are. When we speak the truth about Jesus, they will turn to Him. We live in a day when our government is turning farther and farther away from God, it seems like. But we aren't helpless. We're not helpless. There is much we can do, and God shows us what we can do if we just listen to him and look to him. Stick together as God's people. Seek God's help and speak truth about Jesus. The word heavenly is kind of a popular way to describe something that's uh, so extra wonderful. You know, I often said, oh, man, that pie was heavenly. I know, there was something like that. And I, and I actually plugged it into to Google, heavenly, and came up with 51 million hits. <laughs> you can go to the Heavenly Mountain Ski Resort in California or the Heavenly Cafe in Florida and the Heavenly Cupcake in San Diego. Yeah, and those places may have five-star first-class established ratings, but they're not really heavenly, are they? No, they're not. Do you think we can find at least one little bit of heaven here on earth? Do you? Well, the answer is yes, because the Lord's church is here on earth, at least for the moment. <laughs> you know, it could be removed at any time. However, according to scripture, 
But for now, the most heavenly place on this earth ought to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. This ought to be the most heavenly place on this earth. The early church helps us see this truth in the word of God as we've talked, you know, and we've seen how God wants his church to be united. He wants us to be together. I so encourage you guys to, if you come at nine o'clock and listen to what Ron's teaching through experiencing God. It's what it's all about. The church right now. It's about the church. The early church helps us to see this truth here. And, and we've talked about it so much. And verse 32 says, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. The early Christians were together in their hearts. They were together in their souls. They were together in their thoughts. They were together in their feelings and together in their wishes and their hopes and their dreams because they were together in him. Friends, God wants us to have that same kind of unity and harmony right here. He does. But that can be hard because we're people, aren't we? We always get something that bothers us or takes us away from something. It was once, once said that uh, the more I get to know people, the more I love my dog. <laughs> they don't have diamond, but... <laughs> We can be difficult, can't we? We really can. You know, think about it this way. Who, who's the person you love the most in this world? If you're married, you know, the, the correct answer, you know, guys, is your wife, right? Yes. But do you get along with your wife every second of every day? Every, you know? <laughs> do you get along with the person you love the most all of the time completely? Probably not. <laughs> and if that's true, though, then how in the world can you expect to get along with the rest of us <laughs> all the time? The answer is we can't without him, without him. And by the beginning of Acts 6, there were already some problems in the early church, wasn't there? But here is the truth. Christians ought to get along better than anyone else in the world. That's because we have the mind of Christ available to us. The love of Christ and the spirit of Jesus Christ living in us. Don't make up excuses. <laughs> Christians also ought to get along better than anyone else because our love for one another is one of the greatest witnesses and commandments we've been given that we have in this lost and dying world. John 13, 34, 35 says, The Lord expressed this in this way the night before the cross. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if you have love one to another. The most heavenly place on earth, friends, ought to be the church of our Lord Jesus Christ, right here. That's why he wants his church to be united together. 
Yet he also wants us to be unselfish, doesn't he? The truth is clear to us, the last part of verse 32, which says, neither did anyone say that any of these things he possessed was his own, but they, all, they had all things in common. You see, God wants his people to be unselfish. He wants us to see this truth again in, in 30, verse 34 and 35. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that they, were so, that they sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. You know, there's no biblical evidence that these drastic measures were taken in other New Testament churches. In fact, the other churches later took up collections for the church at Jerusalem because they were really struggling. But here you had a different, in, in Jerusalem, you had a different and difficult and desperate situation. These Jewish Christians had come to Jerusalem from a lot of different nations from all over for Passover. And they came for that feast of Pentecost and, and expected soon to go home. But then something happened. They got saved and they stayed. <laughs> On top of that, persecution was just around the corner over there. It was. In, in fact, the persecution had already started to a certain degree. Even before the cross, John 9, 22 tells us that the Jewish rulers had agreed already that if anyone confessed that Jesus was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Hmm. You know what that means to be put out of the synagogue? It meant that he, might not, he can't hire anybody to help him, nor can he be hired by anybody. And you can't trade with anyone. Nobody is allowed to trade with you. Nor did they employ him in any business except for maybe just a little bit, just to keep him from dying, maybe. Being put out also meant that, this, that his possessions could be also confiscated. Mm. So it had already started. It had. The situation was grave in Jerusalem. And the principle for us is that as the Lord leads, we should generously help those that are in need. We need to. God wants all believers to be generous givers, giving our time, giving our talents, uh, giving tithes and offerings, not for what we want to do, but for the glory of the Lord. And if we're really growing spiritually, we'll remember that, remember we said this a couple of weeks ago, if you're grumbling and complaining, if you're not joyful in the Lord, it's probably a strong indication that you're not growing in the Lord. Hmm. On the other hand, growing Christians are excited about the, what the Lord's doing. I want you all to be excited about what God's doing right here, right here. You know that he's coming again. He is. And, and you need to be excited about what he's going to do in this church between now and then. And when that time comes, you also need to be excited about what he's going to do in your life. And in your home, because growing Christians are joyful and willing Christians. You're all going, I can feel it now, going, oh gosh, this sounds hard. <laughs> the growing Christian says, I'll be glad to do whatever it needs to be done. They contribute, not because their arms have been twisted. They give because they love God. Huh. 
and they're growing in their faith. They give with a happy feeling because they're, they're part of the most important work on the face of this earth. My dear friends, God wants his church to be unselfish, and he wants us to be unleashed, as we've been talking. God doesn't want his church to be tied down by our fears and our failures that we've gone through. He wants us to be on the offense for the kingdom of his Lord. Verse 33 says, With great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. God wants us, his church, to be unleashed. It means that he wants us to hold, to be bold in our witnesses to everyone that we come across. We need boldness like the apostles had in verse 33 where with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the opposition that the early church was already facing. Peter and John had just been before the highest court in the land and they were threatened to stop telling people about Jesus. <laughs> Remember back in verses 15 and 20, it said, but when they had commanded them to go aside, go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, what shall we do with these, to these men? Indeed, <laughs> for indeed, that is a notable miracle that's been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. And verse 19 says, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge, for we cannot <laughs> but speak the things which we have seen and heard. The gospel, friends, will always be in opposition to this world out there. It will be. But in Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That's the promise we have. All the forces of man and all the forces of hell cannot stop the gospel. It can't. God wants us to be bold for those witnesses. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus with great power. Now these men had power to perform miracles. That doesn't seem to be the only thing Scripture's talking about here, though, is it? It's talking about the power of their words, the power of their witness, the power of the gospel itself. It's time. It's the same power that Paul talked about in Romans 1.16, where he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Gentile. Church, we have got the same power of the gospel today, right here. Amen. Don't think we don't. Nothing can change the world like the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing. 
Almost everyone is, you've heard of Heinz ketchup, right? <laughs> did, you, did you know that Mr. Henry Heinz was a devoted Christian? Hmm. One day after an evangelistic service, the speaker turned to Henry and said, you're a believer, but with all your energy, why aren't you <laughs> up and at it for the Lord? Why aren't you talking about him? And Henry went home in anger because this guy crossed him a little bit. But that night he couldn't sleep. And at four o'clock in the morning, he prayed that God would use him to lead others to, to the Savior. And a day later, at a meeting of bank presidents, he turned to the man next to him and told him his joy of knowing Jesus. His friend looked at him in surprise and said, I knew you were a Christian. I've wondered many times why you've never spoke to me about salvation. And that man became the first of 267 people that Henry Hines led to the Lord. Be bold, friends. Don't let it stop you. you. You can claim to be Christian. You can claim to believe. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Huh? Church, we've, we've got the same power of the gospel right here today. We do. Let me remind you that, you, that we also have God-given platforms and opportunities for, you know, for the gospel to share it. For Peter and John, it was, the platform was the miraculous healing of the man who was born lame. But most of the time, our platforms probably are a little more ordinary, aren't they? For example, Acts 19, 8 through 10, Paul was in Ephesus trying to uh, spread the gospel. And the Bible says, I'm sorry, Acts 19, 8 through 10. He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. But when some were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way the multitude of the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Paul started in a synagogue, but when that didn't work out, well, he didn't give up, did he? We can't give up, friends. No, he moved to the school and reached a whole lot of people for Jesus Christ. Paul found a new platform in the school, and he, and he may already have given another platform to us, if you just look. Open your eyes. You see, God gives us platforms to his people to boldly share his gospel. Every day of our lives, and God gives us different platforms to boldly tell people what God's done in their lives. Remember, I want you to get this in your head right now. We've got the same power. But let me ask you, how long has it been? How long has it been since you told someone what God has done in your life? How long has it been since you spoke what got your story to someone? How long has it been since you invited somebody to church to come to church with you? where they'll hear the good news about Jesus Christ. God wants his church to be unleashed. That means bold in our witness and blessed in our work. So verse 33 says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I like what Dr. John Gill said about this verse 250 years ago. 
Great grace was upon them all, not only upon the apostles and the ministers, but upon the whole church. You get that? It's not just a few. It's upon the whole church. And this may be understood by either the gifts of the Spirit or, or which were poured out upon them or the protection of God over them, preserving them from the rage of all that was going on around them or the grace, favor, and charity which they had among the people which were they together in unity. Great grace was upon them all. What does that mean for us here today? What does that mean for us here today? Great grace is upon us all. Well, <laughs> church, one thing it means is this. God will give us everything we need. Everything we need. Everything we need to do. Everything he wants us to do. Everything he wants us to do. He will provide all for his purpose. Not what we want or what we think is important, but what we need to accomplish his purpose. As Paul said in Romans 8, 31 and 32, what then shall we say to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He sacrificed his own son for us. Why wouldn't he keep us going if we're sharing his word? Friends, God wants his church to be unleashed. And that means bold in our witness and blessed in his work. He also wants us to be uplifting to each other, to each other. This is one of the truths that we can see in verse 36 to 37, where the word of God says, and Joseph who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The thing that I want to, to zero in on here is that Barnabas was a son of encouragement. Encouragement. Barnabas was well known as an encourager. And in this world of troubles that we see and heartaches and darkness, this world of frustration and aggravation that we see all around us, when so much is there to pull us down, we need to be people who will lift others up and encourage them. We do. We need to be a people to give an encouraging word when we know it's needed. And that's the way God wants us to work in his church. The most heavenly place on this earth ought to be the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. We really can have a piece of heaven right here. We can right here on this earth. And we will if we follow the leadership that the Lord gives us here in Acts 4. As his church, may God help us May he help us to be unified, unselfish, unleashed, uplifting. May he do that. And may that be the focus of where we go from this day forward. I pray this, Father. Blessings, my friends, to all of you. Let's pray together.
Father, as we come before you, may we have the boldness, may we have the spirit of your truth in us, Father, that we can't hold it back. May we share it, Father, with others. And may your hand be at work in opening the eyes of others, Father, to bring them close to you, Lord. Help us to do the things that you have created us to do. Bring unity to this body here, this church. Bring us, Father, to do your work. May we all seek you in every way that we might be a unified body in your name to do your work right here, Father. I praise you for this, Lord. Guide us now as we come before your table. Bless the, these emblems and bless this time together, Father, as we seek you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.